This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Hey, John, would you give us that intro lick? I'm Dexter Sorensen. I looked some stuff on up on Wikipedia, watched some YouTube about it, and I'm going to explain it to my friend David Gerondale. David, howdy. Hey, howdy. Hey, good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, what are we going to learn about? Louis Pasteur. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Yeah. Louis Pasteur. All right. Pasteurization. Yep, that's what he's most famously known for. Um, we're going to do an intro real quick. Louis Pasteur was unarguably one of the greatest scientists of the 19th century, maybe of all time. His discoveries and refinements of sciences were numerous and wide-ranging. He solved the problem of spoilage of wine, beer, and milk by developing a procedure which would later be called pasteurization. He helped hash out germ theory, which led to hospital sterilization and cleanliness. He stomped out the idea of spontaneous generation. He developed the idea of vaccination against rabies and anthrax and a bunch of other shit. By the time of his death in 1895, he was renowned as one of the fathers of microbiology, and his work has saved millions of lives and has had a significant effect on all of our lives today. So let's get into it. Yeah, let's. Guys, pretty fucking important. (laughs) Pretty fucking important. Louis Pasteur was born in Dole, France, on December 22nd, 1822. He grew up in French winemaking country in Arbois, and his father was a tanner. So he was learning about the practice. As in a, a, a leather maker. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's like a big chemical process, like tanner, like, yeah, like making skins. Um, so he was learning about the practical arts like winemaking and tanning, which are chemically complicated processes. Yeah. Oh, tanning's nasty. Yeah. Um, As a kid, he wasn't actually very studious at all, spending most of his time drawing, painting, and fishing. But when he went to college, he got his shit together. For his PhD in chemistry, he solved a problem in crystallography concerning tartaric acids. And tartaric acids are organic acids that are most notably found in grapes, but also found in bananas and citruses. Oh, that's Dole. Yeah. Dole, he's from Dole, Dole. France. That Shut must up. be where the Dole company, <laughs> the Dole Banana Company comes from. <laughs> I'm not sure you're wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly positive I'm that sure can't you're... be the real correlation <laughs> I'm there. I'm pretty sure you're wrong, but I'm not sure. <laughs> so the problem with the tartaric acids in crystallography was that shining a light through organic tartaric acids polarized or twisted the light that passed through it. But tartaric acids from chemical synthesis didn't polarize the light. Ooh, that's a problem. Yeah. That means they're different. So he discovered molecular chirality or chemical handedness. Oh, snap. I didn't know he did that. He did that as his PhD. Holy 
cow. Yeah. That's a big fucking deal. So, Chirality is is enormous to understanding yeah. how we how chemistry it, works. We talked about it in the abiogenesis episode. Yep. Um, but I didn't know he was responsible for it. Me neither. I had no idea. Um, yeah, so he found as out that doctorate. organic compounds are mostly left-handed as yep. his PhD. Wow. Holy <laughs> Yeah, that's shit. how he started. So uh, when we were talking about handedness, like a chemical can be identical in structure, but unique to another form. As in, it can have all of the exact same atomic components, and they can be connected in the same way. But imagine a mirror facing, image. Yeah. So if it's if it's if most organic chemicals are left facing, then a mirror image of that are. a right facing one won't interact with the rest of organic chemistry. It yeah. just won't link up in the correct ways. It won't hook up. It won't perform the correct chemical interactions. Yeah. So like if you think about both of your hands, right and left, there's no way for you to rotate your left hand so it can be superimposed on the right. Your palm will be facing the wrong way. Yeah. I just um, tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you do it. It looks dumb. <laughs> it was dumb. It was dumb, but... But I wanted, no, no. I wanted to prove Handedness, it. yeah. It's, um, you can't superimpose them on each other. Even though they're somewhat identical, they're different. Yeah. Based on their facing. They're mirror images of each other. Yeah. They're exact opposites. And Wikipedia has a quote about this. Some historians consider Pasteur's work in this area to be his most profound and most original contribution to science and his greatest scientific discovery. I agree with that. Having I didn't even know that, that he, he discovered that, that until moments ago, but I agree just based on the fact that that is so important to understanding Life. chemical synthesis and, and, and how to produce synthetic drugs and how to produce synthetic hormones and all of yeah. the rest of it that actually do what you want them to do. If you produce all of the right chemicals, but they're the wrong handedness, the wrong chirality, it won't work. Yeah. It won't do anything. It's totally inert. Yeah. And so he thought that life was the most curious thing and that he had found a key to it. And there was even a letter from his wife saying that this discovery could possibly make him the Galileo or Newton of biology. Oh, wow. In yeah. some ways, I tend to agree. I kind of agree with that, too. But he didn't Except stop. Except that there was Darwin. He didn't stop there. <laughs> of course, there was Darwin. Who maybe had um, the greatest idea that anyone has ever had, ever. Yeah. Um, but he didn't start th stop there. From there, he went to work on fermentation and started developing the idea of germ theory. And the father of one of his students, by now he was a professor, asked him to come help him solve the problem of spoilage in his wine. And by that time, Jans Jacob Berzelius and Justin von Leibig had proposed the theory that fermentation was caused by decomposition. Pretty sure you butchered those names, I'm but let's, let's move on. I'm 100% sure I butchered them. <laughs> <it. laughs> I'm absolutely sure I butchered them. So in his work with wines, Pasteur demonstrated that this theory was incorrect. It, it wasn't decomposition. And that yeast was responsible for the fermentation to produce alcohol from sugar. Wow. Yeah. That's that's impressive in of itself. Yep. To come up with that. I wonder how he devised an experiment to be confident of that notion. Yeah. 
And he also showed that when different microorganisms were introduced, lactic acid was produced, which made the wine sour. I see. Um, and like one of the things he was really good at was generalizing scientific concepts. And he showed that the growth of microorganisms was responsible for spoiling beverages such as beer, wine, and milk, and wine. Beer, wine, and milk, and wine? <laughs> yep. What's funny is that he was probably introducing lactobacillus to this to this wine mash mm. to cause it to spoil and create lactic acid, which is the same exact bacteria that's responsible for producing yogurt and... Um, uh, sauerkraut and all sorts of other fermented things. Yeah, so it's funny like, that like fermenting one thing with this bacteria causes a positive product, and fermenting another thing with this bacteria causes a negative spoilage. Yeah, and he and he was, but he was like the first person to just put it all together and generalize it. Like one of the which most is insane. important things that he did was to take a concept that was already known and generalize it and turn it into a concept that was grander. Right, the scope um, of that, being able to extrapolate, extrapolate from yeah. from smaller papers that introduced the concept to understanding the global the general principle, like the yeah, how this affects our lives and the products and 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 substances in our lives. Yeah, that is in many ways a bigger idea than the original idea and that did germs this, exist. Like, throughout his career, he did this in like so many different areas. Um, so after establishing the concept that microorganisms were responsible for the spoilage, he developed what would be called pasteurization, which is what he's most famous for today. And that's where the liquid, such as milk and wine, is heated between 140 and 200 degrees Fahrenheit, which kills most of the microorganisms responsible for the premature spoilage. And I guess it's I guess it's rather intuitive, but I wonder if he had any solid evidence to base well, this eradication method on. Um, he basically just like was a good thinker. Well, that's what like I said, it's it's rather intuitive that like nothing now, could survive now. that. Well, no, I mean like in general, any animal like, that you you subjected to those temperatures would die, and they were not aware of extremophiles. But people and didn't so, even believe in microorganisms. He but he like, did. He did. But he did. He did. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm saying is that, like, because he believed in microorganisms, and because the only other living things he knew of were plants and animals, if you subject those macroorganisms to those types of temperatures, they will surely they, yeah, perish. Yeah. And so I suppose it was an intuitive leap for him to suppose that microorganisms would also perish. Yeah. And he's only wrong in a very select number of circumstances. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then after his work on pasteurization and beverage contamination, he proposed that microorganisms infected humans and animals to cause other diseases. And that led Joseph Lister to develop cleanliness and antiseptic methods in surgery. And Listerine. Yeah. <laughs> Is Listerine... No, I'm method? joking. I'm, I'm totally okay. joking. So, uh, Joseph Mouthwash Lister. was developed um, from floor cleaner, actually. What? No joke. No joke in that, yeah. Really? The original mouthwash had no difference in ingredients between its floor cleaner predecessor... Interesting. I yeah. didn't know that at all. And it was invented based on an ad campaign because there was not enough floor cleaner selling. Who and so they thought, were like, let's put that in our mouths. 
B- b- uh, add add people. Add people. Add people yeah. back in the 30s, actually. We're like, yeah, let's convince people, especially women, that their breath stinks and no one will tell them about it. And they need to worry about Look their breath stinking people. all the time. And let's invent this new disease called halitosis. Oh. That was invented by ad companies. That's not an actual disease that was invented. Like, it's not a diagnosis that was given by physicians. It was invented by oh. ad companies to sell fucking Listerine. Interesting. So, yeah, because of his uh, developments in pasteurization and contamination, uh, Joseph Lister generously credited Pasteur um, and developed the means for surgeons to wash their hands, sterilize their shit, and actually practice cleanliness during their surgery. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, with, because... Probably with chemical sterilants. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, wearing gloves. Sure. And, like... And washing with masks, soap and water before... Washing with soap and water. Um, he was actually spraying all his shit with boracic acid. Okay. Lawrence Nightingale um, was really... Um, was apparently very uh, transformative in her efforts to get people to use more modern cleanliness methods. Yeah. Germ um, theory-aware methods. So, yeah, like, that was just something that came about after, like, afterwards, based on his work with fermentation. But also after he worked on fermentation, he was asked to help look into silkworm disease, which was really fucking with the silk industry in France. (laughs) Oh, man, those poor silk merchants. Yeah. He worked on it for five years and discovered that not one but two different diseases were fucking with the silkworms. Oh wow, it's kind of like a colony collapse disorder situation mm-hmm. where you got like, like literally multiple... all the silkworms were dying. Oh, so it is very similar to what we got going on right now. Yeah. Um one of the diseases were causing sores on the eggs and the larvae of the silkworms and it was hereditary. Ew. That's yeah. okay, so So he worked on getting the silkworm farmers access to microscopes so that they could grind up the eggs and they could see if the sores in the eggs were in the eggs, and then they could throw them out. Oh, that way you don't breed those ones. Yeah, you just don't breed the ones with the sores. And the other disease was sort of a, like, silkworm. But if you grind them up, then they're also... So you'll grind up a sample. You'll grind up a sample. Okay. Yeah. And then if you see the sores on them, then you just fucking throw Throw out out the entire batch. Yep. They're not good. They're going to die. Yeah. They're all Um, sore. They're all... Egg sore. Yeah. The other disease was sort of like a silkworm diarrhea that came from contaminated mulberry plants that the silkworms eat. Yeah, they only eat mulberry. Yeah. And so for that, he prescribed solving the problem with good horticulture and making sure the leaves are clean and not contaminated. So with like those two prescriptions, he pretty much saved the silkworm industry. Holy cow. Yeah. That's just insanely insightful with the tools he had in those days to be able to come up with that. that great. No, no. They would have been just like blown glass, like custom blown glass Mm -hmm. orbs, essentially, um, housed within wooden dowels. That's essentially what his lenses would have been. Yeah. But it wasn't just him alone. He was actually really good at developing loyal teams and going around talking to mayors of mayors of towns 
and developing relationships with what we would now call quote unquote stakeholders in his re- research. Okay. He's like one of the first so he was people very to do that. Political. Political and business like. Yeah, and and I mean political as a compliment. Like he understood yeah. the optics of things and how to deal how to make deals. Like mm-hmm. not to not to throw back to our current president. <laughs> That's not what I mean. But yeah, yeah. He, uh, he he knew actually knew how to make deals. Yeah. So he was gaining funding and notoriety, and he was basically establishing the modern form of scientific research within teams and research funding. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next thing he got into he was like was a grant writer before there were grants. Exactly. He was just fucking figuring it out. Um, next thing he got into or next thing we'll talk about rather some of this overlaps was spontaneous generation um in his fermentation experiments he showed that the skin of grapes was a natural source of yeast and that sterilized grapes and grape grape juice never fermented wikipedia says his findings and ideas were against the prevailing notion of spontaneous generation and that flew in the face of the top dog in the camp's spontaneous generation, Felix Archimede Pouchet. Right. And spontaneous generation, just to go back for a second, is this idea that had been pervasive for a long time, which said that different animals and different um, non-animal uh, living entities spontaneously generated under the right circumstances. Yeah. So given enough Pouchet rain, brought it back in a good way. Oh, and okay. Brought about the idea of a quote unquote vital principle, which was in the air, um, which caused life to assemble out of nothing. Okay. Um, and another, but another scientist previously, Lazaro Spallanzani, showed that bacteria could be killed by boiling a liquid, and that if it was sealed up, no bacteria would grow. Oh, I see. Can I give just quickly a couple of examples of spontaneous generation that were mm. commonly believed? Uh, yeah, before? like meat and flies. Well, yeah, or... that was that was an experiment that was done. But some of the common beliefs that were made and were the reasons for certain uh, behaviors. So, for instance, if grain was stored um, improperly, mice would spontaneously generate amongst yeah, the grain. Like they're um, huge. Also, bacteria. Yeah, exactly. Like the spontaneous generation, um, like pertain to larger entities too. Yeah. So they also believe that swallows, um, spontaneously generated from rotting logs under <laughs> lakes in <laughs> and in swamps and uh, ponds, and that swallows were born from them over winter. Like they spontaneously generated and were grown from the rotting yeah. wood underwater over winter and then generated from the uh no but pasteur was like life only comes from life yeah yeah he he had a a pretty novel idea so but with uh with Pouchet Pouchet argued against um Lazaro Spallanzani when he boiled the thing and then sealed it off and no bacteria grew he argued that he was simply killing the vital principle in the air inside the container. Oh, so he argued that there was this vital essence, yeah. which 
within cause air. spontaneous generation. And then by boiling the air, by boiling the air in the ca- container, he was killing the vital principle. Which Basically, caused... there was a living element. Yeah. To things. Um. So anyway, Pouchet and Pasteur were starting to publicly argue about it. Who was right? Whether spontaneous generation was a thing or not. And to settle the debate, the French Academy of Sciences offered the Alhambert Prize, which came with a prize of 2,500 francs to whoever could experimentally settle the matter once and for all. And never being a slouch, Pasteur developed a number of experiments kicking spontaneous generation to the curb. In one experiment, he did what Spallanzani did. In another experiment, he then opened the flasks at different elevations, and at higher elevations, less flasks grew microorganisms. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, But his most famous experiment disproving spontaneous generation was the swan-necked flask experiment. Wait, just a second. Let's go back for just a second. So what he demonstrated basically is that at different elevations, when opening microorganisms are in... Less microorganisms are in higher elevations. Right, but like to put it in the terms that people at the time would understand, basically the air at different elevations changed the amount of this vital essence or whatever mm. that that permeated, and that kind of pokes another, even if that's not definitive proof, that pokes a hole in this theory that this this vital essence somehow permeates our universe. Yeah. And that you can kill it off with the right tools because but, he definitively yeah. showed that at higher elevations, less of whatever causes things essence. to grow exists. Yeah. But his most, like, the one that, like, kind of, like, put the last stone in the... Or nail. Nail the in nail, the coffin. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Put the last nail in the coffin was the swan-necked flask experiment. Okay. Um, so he made a flask with a long neck that went up out of the bulb and crooked down and then went up again. Kind of like a swan neck. Sure. Um, it was designed so that the broth inside could be exposed to the air, but no particles like dust or bacteria could get past the curve in the flask's neck. Oh, that's actually, that's very similar to how toilets work. Yeah. Yeah. So toilets have an S bend in them. And what that does is when you flush a small amount of the flushed liquid accumulates in the S bend. And Mm. so gases from the sewer and from whatever you flushed can't Can't get get past that fluid and then again into the air to come up through your toilet so your toilet doesn't stink like the sewer all the time because of this exact same uh method yeah but then uh what he did with that swan necks flask is he boiled it like the lazarani i said that completely wrong flask but he boiled it but even though it was exposed to air Nothing grew in the broth. I see. Um, and so he probably bought himself something nice with them, 22,500 francs. Yeah, seriously, that would have been quite a bit given inflation and, and yeah, whatnot. I imagine that was a ton of money. All right, so uh, let's talk about his work with vaccinations and animal diseases. After he worked on fermentation and silkworm disease, he decided to turn his attention to animal diseases 
which was becoming more of a problem because of industrialization. Well, and, silkworms are animals. Well, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean, like higher animals. Okay. Um, because of the growth of cities and industrialization, like like farming and agriculture and stuff like that, like animal diseases were becoming like more prevalent. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Cowpox was becoming a bigger and bigger deal. Mm-hmm. But another thing is he had to work on animal diseases because he wasn't a doctor. Oh. And he wasn't medically qualified. Yeah. Um, so if he were to study human diseases in humans, French the French medical professionals would have fucking been pissed and fucked with them and put the kibosh on it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So actually, sorry, I just uh, alluded to... Um, his worth work with vaccinations and animal diseases. But before we talk about that, let's talk about Edward Jenner and later Lady Mary Montague. So Edward Jenner was the first person to produce a vaccination, and he did that in the 1790s, about 50 years before Pasteur. He was a country general practitioner who worked in a dairying area of England. Dairy? Dairying. Dairying, okay, yeah. not daring. Yeah, <laughs> daring. Most areas are daring if I'm there. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> so a big problem in that dairying area was cowpox. Oh yeah, which was a <clears throat> disease similar to smallpox, but for cows. Yeah, which humans can catch, but it's milder yeah, than smallpox. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and by that time, um, with Edward Jenner. Lady Mary Montague had already introduced inoculations for smallpox early in the 18th century, and there were drives all over to inoculate people against smallpox, which comes in many forms and can be either really mild or really severe. Yeah, it can kill you. Yeah. Quite easily. So what they And would... if it doesn't, it can leave you permanently scarred mm-hmm. in a very visible way. So what they would do is they would give them a small dose of the smallpox disease itself. Yeah, usually they would just, yeah, usually like what happened is they would usually cut open. They would have a diseased person in a cart and they would go around from house to house and they would cut open their pustules and Mm -hmm. then with a lancet and then they would get some of the pus on the lancet and then they would cut you with the lancet and get some of the pus in there. And that's that's how you were inoculated. And ideally, it'd give you a mild case, but you know, sometimes oh, sometimes it was pretty severe. Yeah, severe sometimes case. it was a full you blown might just case. Fucking die. You might die from this. Yes, it was a very, very crude form of inoculation. So Edward Jenner was inoculating people in his church, and he knows that in some cases the inoculations wouldn't take. There was small. There would be a small inflammation where the injection was administered, but those certain people wouldn't get the disease. And after years of looking at these cases, he found that in all of the cases where the inoculations didn't ca- take, the people had first gotten cowpox. Yep. All right, let's get back to And past- this is where the connection is made. Yeah, let's get back to Pasteur. So he's fucking famous by now, and people are asking him all over the world to come work on diseases and animal diseases that affect him. Oh, yeah, he was going all over Europe yeah. doing stuff. Everywhere. He went to Russia. Yeah. Um, to work on rabies. Yeah, we're, we're, that's the last thing we're doing. Okay. About. Um, so he started working, the, he next started working on foul cholera, 
because chickens are cheaper to work on in a lab setting than other higher order animals like cows or sheep. Sure. Um, and in one case, he got cultures from Jean-Henri Toussaint. And some of the cultures of chicken cholera bacteria had spoiled. Meaning? Were too old and looked like they just like went at work in order to produce the inoculation. I see. Okay. Um, so when they injected the chickens with cultures, it failed to induce the disease in some of the chickens. Okay. But then they tried to reuse some of those healthy, quote-unquote, healthy chickens, and Pasteur found that he couldn't inject them, infect them with the fresh bacteria. Oh. Yeah, because it had been weakened. Right. He, was he had discovered something. Virulence. Yeah. Virulence. Um, virulence. I think it's usually Thank pronounced. You. Yeah. <laughs> I always pronounce everything wrong. Um, so in another case, Pasteur told one of his lab assistants, Charles Chamberlain, to inoculate the chickens after he went on holiday. Well, Charles, he forgot to do it and went on holiday himself. So a month later, instead, when they got the injected chickens with the old cultures, it made the chickens kind of sick, but instead of dying like they usually did, they recovered completely. Huh. Yeah. And Imagine so, because of this, he developed the idea of the weakening of the virulence of microorganisms by contact with oxygen. Holy shit. That's an incredible leap to make. Yeah. he. That's what I'm talking about. Like, he was like a c- crazy generalizer. And, like, a bunch of the people that he worked with wanted to just throw out those samples. And he was like, nope. Nope. We're going to fucking figure out what's going on here. And we're going to use it anyway. Um, but he also, like, didn't make a lot of the ex- discoveries he was he was associated with. But he had a huge team and, like... Right. Originally, I had heard that he had discovered the connection between cowpox and, and smallpox. So No, no, no. So it's, it's interesting to learn that, yeah, he's not actually directly associated with that discovery. No, no. Um... So, but because of the idea, he he developed the idea of weakening the virulence of microorganisms by contact with oxygen. And he presented those results to the French Academy of Sciences, saying that the bacteria were weakened by contact with oxygen. And then after figuring out how to save them chickens by weakening the virulence of the bacteria, he turned his attention to anthrax, which is really fucking with cattle and sheep. Okay. Which anthrax, a lot of people think of like male, but it's a, it's a bacterial spore. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's large as far as microorganisms go. Yes. And, and it's and, easy and, to and see. And it lives within the microscope. soil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they even called the places where they were dying, quote unquote, cursed fields. And Louis Pasteur was actually pretty late to the anthrax game. Okay. Uh, one of his main rivals, German up-and-coming medic and bacteriologist Robert Koch, K-O-C-H, had published a paper on anthrax. Bob Koch. <laughs> Bob Koch. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, Bob Koch had published a paper on anthrax a year previous. And his um, 
in that paper, Koch demonstrated that anthrax <laughs> is a living organism that went through a life cycle that int- included a spore stage and underwent division. Okay, shit. Okay, wow. Yeah. Damn, and that's the impressive. Thing is, like, Koch... Again, with the tools they had back then, that's so impressive. Koch yeah. and Pasteur were, like, rivals... And they're both considered fathers of microbiology. Okay. But they had different emphasis. Like, Koch was doing more classical discoveries and describing the actual bacteria. I see. But Pasteur was describing the function and the process. Right. And, and the like, impact. The impact. Um, so, yeah, they're both very, very important. Um, another thing that Koch did right that Pasteur did wrong was Koch was using uh, flat plates um, for his cultures, and Pasteur was using tubes. And the Koch team was saying, that fucking, you're doing it wrong. Like, you know, like, when you, like, are in science, and Koch also did staining, created staining. Oh, wow. And, like, the flat argyle plates. Okay, yeah. Um, but Pasteur was using tubes and flasks. Interesting. To do his culture. Yeah, that's really hard to observe things yeah. in that setting. Um, but, like, so Pasteur's work on, early work on anthrax was kind of like, meh. But he continued to work on it, and altering the virulence of anthrax, it became like kind of okay, cool. And he used his fame and exposure to tell farmers not to bury their dead livestock in their fields. Oh, okay. Which was like a big problem. That's where they're getting their anthrax in those. Yeah. Cursed, the cursed fields where the the anthrax dead animals were being spread by the worms that were eating them straight to the new animals that were grazing those fields. Sure, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is where we get to rabies. One, uh, we didn't actually talk about it in the rabies episode, but one of the last things the pastor got up to was his work on a rabies vaccine procedure. Right. Um, so when, he, when Pasteur was just a kid in Arbois, he witnessed a rabid wolf attack. And at the time, the only preventative measure to take against rabies was to cauterize the wound with red-hot irons. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, brutal and probably ineffective. Fucking A. And little Louis heard the screams of those people being cauterized, and it really traumatized him. So when he... Good. He, I mean, probably. Like, like yeah. uh, it's not good that you were traumatized, but it's good that hearing people scream from being cauterized is, is traumatizing. Yeah, than like, that's pretty healthy. Yeah, that's a healthy response to that. Mm. So when he got to work on a rabies vaccine, he put together a kennel of dogs and a litany of other animals to work with. He went to work trying to alter the virality of rabies through a bunch of different means. He exposed rabies to oxygen introduced antiseptics, and passed the virus through different animals. And he found that when it was passed through certain animals like rabbits, it increased the virality. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And when he passed it through other animals like monkeys, it decreased the virality. Oh, that's very interesting. Really, right? Um, and then one of the things that uh, one of his lab assistants came up with was to inject rabbits directly into the brain with rabies 
instead of injecting it into their blood. Okay. Because as we talked about in the rabies episode, rabies infects the nerve cells and then has to slowly Travel get to the brain. to the brain. In order yeah. to have symptoms. So after figuring out how to alter the virality of dis- rabies, he used dogs to develop a protocol for a rabies vaccine, where he first introduced a super weak form and slowly stepped it up to more virulent strains so they could develop an immunity. Okay. And he tested that protocol on 50 dogs before his first human trial. And there was this nine-year-old boy, Joseph Meister, who was badly mauled by a rabid dog. And remember, he wasn't a he wasn't a doctor and he shouldn't have been working on humans. <laughs> but at the time, like what does that mean? No one else was gonna help this kid. No, he was just <clears throat> gonna die. Um so after consulting with physicians, he decided to go ahead with the treatment. And Wikipedia says, over 11 days, Meister received 13 inoculations, each inoculation using viruses that had been weakened for a shorter period of time, meaning exposed to more oxygen. The brain stems of the rabbits. That wasn't a Wikipedia quote. We're getting back into the Wikipedia quote. Three months later, he examined Meister and found that he was in good health. Pasteur was held as a hero, and the legal matter was not pursued. So he, because he did it right, he like got out of the legal problem. With okay. It. Also, he didn't actually specifically himself administer the vaccine. He had a medically qualified um, physician physician do it. Okay. Um, but he was fucking famous and had a lot of money and probably like could have gotten anybody to do it. Um, but that was actually one of the first medical breakthroughs that hit the front pages of newspapers. And people flocked from all over the world to get treatment for rabies in Paris. Okay. Dang. Yeah. Like, people people got on a boat from India and... Holy and shit. And went, like, traveled for six, six weeks to get there in order to have treatment. And in 1886, he treated 350 people, of which only one developed rabies. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's an insane, that's like record success rate. Yes, that's fucking good. Holy, yeah! Wow. Wikipedia says the treatment's success laid the foundation for the manufacture of many other vaccines. The first of the Pasteur Institutes was also built on the basis of this achievement. So yeah, like base. I don't know. It's just crazy how much shit he did, like and how much impact he, he had on modern society, even and today. medicine. Yeah, and medicine, and just the idea of germs and germ theory. Yep. Like he didn't specifically try to make uh, surgeons wash their hands, but good surgeons heard about his work, and were like, "Holy shit!" Like people are dying because of what I'm doing. And then they worked to solve that problem. Okay. Based on what he did. Um, so he died in 1895 at the age of 72, and he told his family to never release his notebooks to anyone. Oh. Yeah. Because he's he's kind of an There's asshole. Some raunchy shit in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, he I don't know. He's just a 
he was an insidious note taker. Okay. Um, but his family actually obeyed the order, and it wasn't until assiduous. Night- he was assiduous? an assiduous, assiduous note taker. Oh, that's yeah. the word you were looking for. Assiduous. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and it wasn't actually until 1964 that his grandson and his last surviving male descendant, Pasteur Valley Rideau, donated the papers to the French National Library. And then they only became available and cataloged in 1985, 14 years after the death of Pasteur Valley Rideau. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I got on Louis Pasteur. He, uh, Pasteur. Pasteur. Um, basically, he just fucking. He changed Revolu- the game. Changed the game. He changed how science is done. Oh he yeah, we didn't how- even we didn't even mention the fact that like like the reason your milk is pasteurized is because of him. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. Well, I mean, we did we, mention that, we but mentioned we didn't that explicitly that was thing, but we didn't, state. No, yeah, that like, that's that that was the outcome. The, the reason things are pasteurized is because of his last name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just he discovered he, that microorganisms are the thing that are are that spoiling. spoil things. Your beverages, and then in order to to stop that from happening, you just heat them up. Yep. And then that became a process in his namesake. Yeah. So now it's basically illegal to buy unpasteurized milk in the United States or sell it, rather. And he also he also developed the idea of vaccinations. He also which. Developed the idea of germ theory. Don't have neurological and bacteriology. Outcomes, and usually. yeah, he's, he's. I'm just saying the anti-vaxxers. Oh, are oh yeah. Wrong. I I didn't know we were gonna give anti-vaxxers even a nod. Well, I'm just um, saying he invented the vaccine, so why not mention the fact that anti-vaxxers are nutcases? Yeah, <laughs> like seriously. Jenny McCarthy, this is going out to you. Yeah, you did a lot of damage. Come on, Jenny, you're really hurting us. Yeah. We're talking about fucking hard facts here, science. Yeah. Pasture worked real hard for you to fuck that up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but you got anything about Louis? Good anything old else? Louis. No, not that Louis anyway. <laughs> All right, so we done. That's it for this episode. The Explanations is recorded at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Art and logo by Monet Moran. Social media management by Alicia Fentress. And my trusty co-host is David Girondell. I want to thank our supporters of the show on Patreon. Seriously, your support means everything to me, everyone on the Dexplanations team, and the show itself. If you too want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations. Tell a friend to listen to your favorite episode or leave a review on iTunes. All of these things help a lot as we are trying to get more exposure for the show, and we really appreciate you for doing that. Likely, we got a bunch of things wrong. If you want to tell me about it or just want to bullshit, hit me up at DeXplanationsPodcast at gmail.com. Tweet me at DeXplanations or comment on Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you... Have you been pasteurized? Because you've been fresh for a real long time. Bye now.
70 to 80% of farts by volume are swallowed air. It's a fact. 